Here we go. The Earthbox Podcast. Welcome to the Earthbox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. So, do you think that our political leaders are really as dumb as they appear to be? Yes. In short. For all of them, though. Uh, I think so. I mean, at least in the Western world, I can't see any of them that are particularly intelligent. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that's kind of hard to quantify. You know, if you say, what is an intelligent person? I'm going to say someone that I would find intelligent would be someone that would do long-term strategic planning in an intelligent way even at their own detriment. Well, I've talked about it before. My opinion of the corporate world and the political world sort of fuses, and I start to think that, well, it's actually not. Our political leaders are just puppets. They're, uh, they're the Wizard of Oz. And what's really happening behind the scenes is you know it's it's the man behind the curtain that that's really pulling the strings and that's a conglomerate of corporate billionaires and bankers but then also a few politicians and people like obama there's a lot of conspiracy theories about how involved obama is with the sort of biden administration and how it's really Obama that's pulling the strings and with a lot of the developments that have taken place over the last week or so and a lot of the preparation that I did, it seems there's, there's a lot of uh, earmarks of the, how, the way that he ran things during his administration that are coming up. But when I see things like Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, going to the French Laundry to have a big party during all of the COVID lockdowns, and there's cameras around, and they're taking his picture, and there's no masks, I have to think, that's not, that's not stupidity, that's just arrogance, that's... Yeah, right? That that's the evidence that he thinks I'm better than you. These rules are for you, not for me. You are the underclass. Uh, fill top off my coffee, but make sure you keep your mask on. It's so cringe. I mean, it's, we we don't see it anymore, thankfully. But you know, as early as last year, we saw. People gathering at these posh banquets, and you see there none of them are wearing masks. They're all you know walking around being social, and everyone working still has to put their mask on. But that's not—I mean—that's not an indication of our stupid leaders. 
Stupid leaders yeah. are like Joe Biden, who is, I mean, as it seems now it's coming out, has just sort of been bribed all through his political career. And he's made it all the way to the White House now in, in 50 years. Let's, let's see, I have to know, when was... I think he was the youngest person elected to the Senate at one point. That's what I'm pulling up right now. That that sounds right. Yeah. It's it's all he's ever done. 1972, yeah. at the age of 29, becoming wow. the fifth youngest senator. Fifth youngest. In history. And became the oldest president elected. Wow. That really is something. something. wrong with that. Yeah. There's something wrong with that. Well, you can't really look at what he's doing and say, I mean, you, you, you can't look at who he is today and no. go, that's the guy making all the decisions. No. So if you were an American who, let, let's, let's actually, let's, let's break it down into, into both de- Democrat, the Democratic primary and the Republican primary. If you could vote in the Democrat primary, who you you wouldn't vote for Joe Biden? No, or you shouldn't. I don't see how anyone could. Honestly, I mean, I joke I with my wife. To. Unfortunately, I think they have to, but they shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, if he's the only, well, I don't know. Why would they have to? Because if you don't back the incumbent president in your own party, I mean, that just looks horrendous. You know, PR-wise, that just looks horrendous. I just don't see how somebody could live through these four years and say, yeah, I want more of that, even if it means dismissing your, you know, the cadaver-in-chief. Only, <laughs> only you know after his first term. But what about the Republican? Yeah. What about the Republican side? Would you Ooh, vote the Republican side? Would you vote for I, Donald Trump? I would not vote for Donald Trump, um, and I would not want Donald Trump again if I was a Republican senator. Um, because if I'm a Republican senator, and especially since the way Trump left office last time uh he kind of gives off this energy that he just doesn't give a crap about anyone else other than himself including all the senators and so why would i vote for someone that doesn't that doesn't want to help me he only wants to like better himself and i'd much rather you know i'm thinking as a senator as a politician now i'd much rather back someone like ron DeSantis, who's a bit more of uh, a political machine type that's going to um, value the typical process of an, of an election and, you know, help bring me up. You know, if I vote for you, you're going to give me something in my state when you get elected. That's the kind of thing that I'm, that I'm thinking of. Whereas Trump, it's like, he, I could vote for him and then he could just turn around and say, I don't know anything about you. See you later. Yeah, I don't... I feel like I have to support Trump 
for a, a laundry list of reasons. But I really like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. He seems to have, his energy seems to be much better than Ron DeSantis. Uh, he seems to be a lot more focused uh, on where the country where the country needs to go. He seems to be much in much more in touch with the Republican voter base. Mm. It also wouldn't be hard. I mean, I think anybody who's been paying any sort of attention over the last six years could easily put together the same platform that Vivek Ramaswamy is running on. He's mm. definitely trying to appeal to the Trump base as well as the sort of, I mean, I would say the voters like me that aren't really convinced that Donald Trump is who he says he is, who he claims to be. And I, I've also always sort of had this opinion that the politician should be the representation of the people. A lot of, uh, you know, political pundits, et cetera, get, uh, they get all up at arms when a politician changes their viewpoint on something. Yeah. Like they say, uh, you know, like the gay marriage thing is big when it comes to politicians changing their viewpoint. I mean, it's, it's the most obvious they get on the microphone and say, I believe that marriage should be between one man and one woman. And then eight years later, it's, you know, no holds barred, everybody go gay, get married, and then change the gender of your children. And the news anchors go, well, what about, what about this eight years ago when you said marriage should be between one man and one woman? Well, hey, if that's what their constituents were saying at the time, then that's the position that they should represent. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it makes no sense for someone to have an opinion and then just keep that opinion forever. You know, the world would never change. Well, and people like are supposed to learn and grow as yeah. they progress through their lives. And sometimes that means changing your opinions. I mean, I think yeah, that... Or at yeah, or at least admitting, uh, at least admitting, you know, this is what I used to believe in the, in the past. And I've changed my opinion for this reason, because I think it's more representative of, the, of my local constituents. That's the right thing to say. If they just said, I'm changing my opinion because uh, I kind of feel like it and it's a terrible PR move if I don't, that's kind of like bullshit. But if they take a more open approach to that, I think that's, yeah, that's perfectly fine. And, and, and it should be encouraged. And I, I think a politician would be, I think it would be ill-advised for a politician to say, well, I believe this thing personally but i think i you know i think the, the the will of the people should be honored over what i want to say that that wouldn't bode well for a political campaign and i think that's why donald trump comes off as as disingenuous because he was a new york democrat for a lot of years he went to hillary clinton's or i mean chelsea clinton's wedding and coming into the race in 2016, everyone was saying, you're not a, 
you're not really a Republican. Here, here is this video that you s- said, you know, because people asked him all the time back in the nineties and, and late eighties too, I think. When are you going to run for president? Will you please run for president? Let's talk about you running for president. And then he's on the record saying, if I was going to run for president, I'd probably run as a Republican because they're just, you know, the, because they're so stupid and gullible or something like that. I don't know how the Republicans of today, myself included, reconcile with that kind of claim. There's so many things that have happened that just put little red flags in my brain that make me think, oh no, he's, this is, this is his, this is him playing his role as the Republican president pulling us all in the same direction mm. because we've all been kind of the, the, the entire Western world has sort of been moving in this same direction. And, and he participated in COVID. I think just the way that, I mean, if the effort is to move us to one world government, new world order, I mean, I can, I can point to, plenty of happenings that sort of, you know, confirm that theory. I see, oh, well, this is why it was Trump. And that's why it was Trump. And, and one of the reasons is his Trump's personnel decisions that Trump went along with Fauci. He said, he said on one hand, oh, you know, it was a terrible mistake to listen to what Fauci did, but he never really stopped him from doing the things that he wanted to do. And, and I could make excuses for that. But I did uh, predict rightly, I hate to pat myself on the back, but I think everyone deserves to know. No, I don't, I don't really think that I am pointing. I am patting myself on the back and I am pleased to announce that uh, Ron DeSantis released this, campaign ad dragging Trump for being best buddies with Fauci. And uh did you watch it? Did you watch the video when I sent you that link? Uh I watched the video but I didn't turn the sound on because I was doing something else. Oh, I snap. It. I should I don't think I can do this quickly. Oh wait, maybe I can. No camera. There we go. I am sharing my screen so you can watch now. Oh, okay. Okay. So exciting. Reaction. All right, here we go. This is the first the first Ron DeSantis attack ad. Ron DeSantis loves sticking his fingers where they don't belong. And we're not just talking about pudding. DeSantis Oh no, what happened to my volume? Oh, for crying out loud. Social security. There we go. Even raising our retirement. That's not even the right one. Ron DeSantis. What happened? His fingers <laughs> and it's a disaster. This is what we say, get. This is a. Uh, oh, here we go. Wait, maybe. But now there's no sound again. Oh, this is the best. Oh, because I didn't. Exactly why? Okay. Oh, here we go. You're fired. You're all fired. All four are fired. You're fired. I didn't want you to fired. Today I walk in, I hear I'm going to fire him. I'm not firing him. I think he's a wonderful guy. Should you have fired Fauci? So a lot of people the music. ask me that question, and I did it right. 
Because if you do fire him, you're going to have a firestorm on the left again. Why, why did you feel unable to fire Thatcher? Personally, you're not allowed to. Every time he goes on television, there's always a bomb. But there's a bigger bomb if you fire him. Frankly, you can't win that one. If I would have done it, I would have taken heat. Okay, the DeSantis war room thing. That is the cringiest Ron? thing I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Talk Every about movie. dumb politicians, right? <laughs> the DeSantis war room. What the fuck? He's like the most moderate guy on the right, like ever. Well, one of the big, use war room. Uh, one of the big sort of uh, pro-Trump voices, Steve Bannon. I think we talked about him last week for a, for a bit. Yeah, that's the name of his podcast, The War Room. With Steve Bannon, oh right, and uh, he and he has a huge, you know, like the 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 hardcore Trump base loves Steve Bannon, uh, and I think that's Ron DeSantis's effort to uh, appeal to that, you know, section of the Republican Party, like, oh no, this is the war room. We're going to war, and. He, man, I feel sympathy for him because he is, uh, he's ill-advised. Like in that, in that attack ad, he used fake AI generated pictures of Donald Trump and Fauci. And it seems like he doesn't even really know that he did that. And he's getting dragged on a lot of the pop, the most popular podcasts in the country for being just kind of sleepy and detached. And, oh, I, <laughs> I almost forgot. And I can't believe I haven't heard this before. I feel like it, it requires a Google search. Because in one of, in one of the, podcasts i was listening to they were talking about this very thing ron DeSantis using the fake ai generated pictures of donald trump and fauci and they were going oh it's it's so dishonest it's so dishonest and i thought <gasps> ron dishonest oh it's ron so it's so one. much better than ron dishonctus although dishonctus is a bit more descriptive but what do you think? Do you think he knew? Do you think he knew that they were fake pictures? Or do you think somebody just slapped it together and showed it to him while he, you know, on an iPad while he's sitting behind his desk and he just said, yeah, that's, that's great. Run it. Honestly, I'd be surprised if he, if he'd even seen it. Uh, like these kind of campaigns are done by hundreds of people. True, and they're signed off by PR people. They're not signed off by the by the senators. Um, but a great question to really ask, actually, is who do you think this advertisement is for? Because for Trump supporters, this is not going to win over anyone. And personally, I think this is for the swing voters, right? Because that's the people that that Trump has to encourage to vote for him. Because the Trump supporters are going to vote for Trump regardless. They're not going to vote for Ron. They're certainly not going to vote for Joe. It's the swing voters that are going to decide next year. So I reckon this is for people that are on the fence. Um, 
that might vote Trump, don't really know much about Ron DeSantis. And this is just going to be something that puts them over the edge, maybe. Well, I think, so I think the hardcore Trump base is only about 20%, maybe 30%. However, I think there's a lot of people that are, have lived through the last three years and are going, God, just get me back to Trump. I think there's going to be a lot of voters that don't care about Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or even Donald Trump. They're going to say, I want $2 a gallon gas again. And I, you know, I want a booming economy. I want all of those things that we had just three years ago that we don't have anymore. And if that means I have to vote for Donald Trump to get those things, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, I think I think one of the the big problems with Trump is his argument that the last election was stolen. And the issue with it, whether you think that it happened or it did happen or didn't, I would love to know Trump's answer to this question, which is what happens if Trump actually wins? Did the Democrats fix the electoral process for him? Did they not fix it this time? I would love to know, like, what happens if Trump wins next time? Has the system changed under Democrat rule? That seems like a very unlikely thing. And I think these are the kind of questions that Ron and other opponents of Trump are probably going to ask him, which are very, very difficult for him to answer. Because in, in one sense, he goes... Well, yeah, they fixed it now. He's basically saying that the Dems have fixed it for him. Well, and I've and he I've says, heard well, people yeah. say I've heard people say over and over again, Trump supporters. They yeah. say, "Oh, these elections have been stolen for years. They've been stealing elections for years." And but so, what somehow it wasn't stolen in 2016 when when Trump ran. I'm ever skeptical of that reality. How yeah. how did I mean, going back to the Florida election of uh, 2004, I mean, it was the federal election, but the, all of the sensation came out of Florida with the paper ballots and the dangling chads and, oh, was this a vote for, was this a vote for George Bush or was it a vote for Al Gore or, oh, we don't know. And then recount, first recount, second recount, and then ultimately the courts just had to decide that it was for Bush. And that was looking back on history. Now you see that Bush was part of the, you know, the new world order. If you want to call it that he implemented the same policies as his dad and Bill Clinton and the same policies that have been perpetuated by Obama and would have been perpetuated by Hillary Clinton. So then why did they fail to swing the election for Hillary Clinton when that was so obviously what was supposed to happen? Or was it? And that's where my conspiracy mind starts really to tingle because I love to think about how different things would have been, how different things could have been if Hillary Clinton had won instead of Donald Trump. But when we look at what the, we look at the things that Donald Trump did, he made the military incredibly strong and 
he sort of facilitated the destruction of COVID. And now the world has changed dramatically. And I can't look at anything. I can't look at anything that Trump did and think that that couldn't be used to the benefit of the globalist agenda. Even the wall on the southern border. Like, hey, if you're an American and you're really upset with this sort of Marxist leftist, uh, you know, de-evolution that we've experienced, are you going to go to Canada? Hell no. Canada is more totalitarian than uh, than America. And I mean, they're even giving China a run for their money. So you'd go time Trudeau. Trudeau is having a great time over there. Oh yeah, he's the king. He's the king in the castle. <laughs> he's on thin ice, though. He's on extremely thin ice. He's got a minority government right now. So he's, you'd you'd go you if you were trying to flee the oppression, you'd go to Mexico. But oh wait, there's a wall there now. And I remember thinking, yeah, like years ago, there's, not, there's that's it. There's not many options for English speaking people. Like, where are you going to go? You can't go to Japan because. The Japanese hate everyone. You can't go to South Korean because the language is really hard to uh, understand. Uh, maybe the only place you could go is probably like Singapore. That would be the only place where you could go that would be relatively good compared to America. If you didn't like America. I remember when Obama, when Obama got elected to his second term and the Republicans were the ones going, I'm leaving the country. And then Trump got elected and... All of the the lefties were saying, "Oh, I'm I'm leaving the country." There's plenty of places to go if you're a communist, but if you enjoy, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, your uh, your options are limited. And I, but I think that's been limited. That's been the goal. That's been the goal since post World War II. With you know the Frankfurt School, I don't know if you're if you're familiar with the the Frankfurt School. That's definitely a topic for another podcast, but not the next one because I I never I never revisit the things that I say I'm going to revisit when I bring it up in the <laughs> podcast previously. But basically, the the cliff notes are that the the Frankfurt School was responsible. For, and this is this is conspiracy theory. I don't have facts to back this up, although I might be able to find them. The Frankfurt School basically sort of laid the groundwork for Nazi Germany. And then when the war started to kick off, they all fled to America. And if you sort of if you line up the sort of the the generations, it is at least believable that sort of the first generation of the Frankfurt school would be sort of taking the reins of the control of, of the nation about the Vietnam war era. And that's sort of when the ball really started rolling, in my opinion, toward this uh, communist one world government that's been, uh, accelerated by covid and this is where i kind of get stuck or or at least the conspiracy theory path branches before me because with covid 
we were supposed to follow, I mean, and, th- and this is according to war games and, and pandemic preparedness plans that we were going to celebrate the, the Chinese model and Hillary Clinton was going to be the president in this theory. And she was going to celebrate China and the Chinese model and say that we all need to be more like China and that was going to pull the country in this direction. But how is that direction different than what Trump did? How did we end up in a different place? How, how, how are we in a different place today with Trump having been the president for those four years than we would be if Hillary Clinton had been the president for Ooh, ooh, okay, for those so four years. With this. Go, go, baby, this. go. <laughs> okay, so the difference between the two the two characters is obviously Trump is a right winger and Hillary Clinton is it's more of a left winger. And Hillary Clinton wanted to follow the Chinese model, which is more of a socialistic, communistic type type model. And of course, Trump he wants to follow more fascistic, uh, imperialistic uh, view. And that's that's why we've we've come to these two different things because they both wanted to be very empowering characters, except Trump has gone through more of a dictatorial uh, style where he had a small circle of people and did lots of executive orders and made it very dictatorial and then did things like COVID uh, and all the you know hard federalized laws around that, which is. Very fascistic. Um, I don't think and... Trump. I don't think Trump did more executive orders than Obama or even Biden. But we don't have to get into that. No. The point is the the point is is that he he the point is is that he didn't care about the other branches of government. You know, he would quite happily just let the government run out of money. Um, and not sign off on the budgets and stuff in the Senate and stuff like that. He definitely he, had that air about him. Yeah, for real, right? And, and you know, he wasn't afraid. Like, he wasn't a person that was uh, a fiscal conservative as well. He spent, you know, record spending. Um, so, and you'd have, you would have had that with Hillary Clinton as well. She would have had record spending, except she would have had it in a way that would have been more socialistic. Uh, Trump spent money on everything (laughs) so well and i think uh, i mean that's that's the big that's a big issue none none of and this is sort of the i mean this supports my theory which is that neither neither clinton nor trump nor biden it seems really changed the direction i mean they changed the vibe but it's like you say, they all they all just spent, spend and spend and spend. And when you run out of money, just print more and keep spending. And Trump definitely contributed to that. And I I mean, I have to say, I don't I can't honestly say, oh, this economy is all Biden's fault. I'm not gonna give Biden credit for anything, but I know that Trump at least went along with the proposed COVID policies, one of them being we're going to print more money than we've printed in the last 20 years combined, and we're going to give a bunch of it away, and then we're going to waste a bunch more of it. And 
Yeah, exactly. Once you say it like that, it's it's kind of hard to accept the fact that Trump is some kind of uh, fiscal conservative businessman that cares about the profit and loss of the country and deficits and stuff. Actually, it's it's he kind of run he kind of run the country like he did his own businesses, uh, which is kind of poor with money. I think Trump is not amazing with money, so it's kind of not surprising that he did that uh, with the country's finances. So I think anyone that's looking for something on the right wing with a different flavor, they don't fancy Trump because he spent too much money, they actually might consider the boringness of DeSantis because he is a proven fiscal conservative that likes to spend less money and cut things. So that might be... That actually... If I was Ron DeSantis, that would be my entire pitch, that Trump is someone that spent lots of money and got us into an economic position which was hard to get out of. And I am somebody that wants to get rid of the deficit and cut down on the debt and freeze the debt ceiling permanently. I think that would be highly, highly uh, enticing to a lot of libertarians and people that believe in a smaller state it's got to happen and it's going to happen one way or the other because i don't think there's an economist alive that thinks american fiscal policy is sustainable but if you look if you look at what uh oh i've lost it if you look at no, what, I mean, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of ties into the thing that I want to talk about in, in South Africa, because if you look at South Africa, that is an example of poor fiscal policy combined with horrendous economy. And if you would imagine that the American economy would uh, stop growing at the rate or decline in some way, suddenly all that debt that they have becomes unpayable. Because they, you know, you you don't have the increased cash flow, you know, to pay the deficits and and to pay the premiums on the debt. So, you know, looking at the South Africa situation right now, I mean, that's exactly where where they're at. Well, I can't, I can't look at what's going on in South Africa. With, I mean, they're they're suffering blackouts for sixteen hours. They they call it uh, load shedding, where they don't shedding. they don't have enough electricity to sustain the population. When I hear something like that, I can't think that it's a result of anything other than corruption. Definitely, this company Escom. Uh, so they so South Africa wanted to privatize. And I, I mean, I have to give them credit. It sounds like a good idea on the surface. They want to privatize these industries. They want to privatize their their energy providers. And in theory, that would work great. I, I mean, that should work great. I think uh, a lot of Americans and libertarians think we need to make government as small as possible. Yeah. And one of the ways to do that is to privatize a lot of the government services, you know, make the school buses. Oh, the school buses are a private company. The police are a private company. Uh, hospitals are, are private companies. It in, increases competition and, 
and, you know, drives the cost down better for the consumer. But this example right here in South Africa is a prime reason that we need to have some sort of government. Because otherwise you have these companies like ESCOM and none of, I listened to two or three podcasts on this topic yesterday. And only in, I think, one podcast, it was the Africa is a Country podcast, only very gently hinted that corruption is the source of, of these problems. And in everything else, it was all about, oh, no, it's going to be fine. We're going to move to, I should be doing a South African accent, but I didn't work on it. It's going to be great. We're going to move. Nope, it's coming off Australian. <laughs> I'm just going to, but they, they want to move to uh, renewables, uh, solar and wind and all that stuff, and which, which all sounds great, but it also sounds like more of the same bullshit. Change the record. We yeah. do, we, if, if we could stand on solar and wind, why aren't we already doing it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a horrific situation in, in South Africa because they are in a political position where they are so corrupt that basically nothing gets done. And they, I mean, ESCOM is not technically a private organization. They're like a government-run private organization. It's, it's, it's very, very complicated. Um, I think the ex-CEO of that company, who has just had an assassination attempt on him i mean could you imagine like the the head of shell oil or something or something you know having an assassination attempt on him on him in your country it'd be just outrageous in america uh but yeah in, in south africa he he had his coffee <coughs> poisoned with cyanide um and now he lives in exile and said that there's at least two to four criminal enterprises like cartels working within within the energy company and uh, it's just a, just a completely horrendous situation because part of the part of the whole basis of a state is that they have to provide a minimal viable service to their citizens so that the economy can grow. You know, if you imagined America or the UK or any Western nation, if you had if you had power for half the day, and that meant that you had basically no running water for half the day as well, you wouldn't be able to get anything done. And so that's like basic basic stuff that they need to get right and currently now they're at a point where their only way forward seems to be in the case of renewables and the reason why they have to do renewables is because the company escom is no longer allowed to take any more debt this is from the south african government they are not allowed to take on any more debt uh, because they're so up to their eyeballs in debt well and they were supposed uh, to take they were supposed to take this money and use it to expand the infrastructure. Yeah, the GET money, yeah, the 8.5 billion that's coming from the EU um, to help greenify uh, their network. Of course, there's a lot of internal problems in South Africa, which is preventing them from, from doing this at any sort of rate, which is, first of all, the crime is so insane that a lot of stuff just gets stolen, okay? Uh <laughs> which is just you know oh yeah well i mean here here in the states a, a construction site is a prime target for thievery 
Yeah, for sure. And if and if you imagined, you know, America wasn't a place which had, I don't know what the unemployment is in America. It must be like 4% or something, right? I think it's actually even less, but yeah, pretty good. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty good, right? So, you know, on the whole, crime is not a massive issue that affects most people day to day. And in South Africa, this is something that affects people on a day to day basis. And the unemployment rate is close to about 50%. And now they don't have electricity. <laughs> right. So you no longer have electricity. You don't have really good running water and you don't have a job. What and are the, you going to do? The politicians are the politicians that I listened to yesterday. Are they, they seem to just be apologists for the situation. Like, oh, yeah, well, they, you know, the, the poverty line is really low and a lot of people are, are barely able to, you know, afford anything. If they had a medical emergency, they'd slip into extreme poverty. And the, you know, ESCOM was supposed to operate this business model where they were going to, you know, recoup the cost of these loans and then also be able to invest more in infrastructure, but they couldn't do that because they weren't able to charge enough for the electricity to, okay, buddy, that's where, that's where the government comes in. Hey, all right, we're going to subsidize you a little bit so that you can keep your prices low or be more heavy handed and say, okay, no, we're going to, we're going to cap the rate that you can pay your, your CEOs and upper management. Because I, I mean, personally, that's what I think is going on. They were taking in all of this money and going, Hey, we're going to all have, you know, billion dollar salaries or, or whatever it was. And, and forget about building this new infrastructure. We're just going to try to let it ride on the infrastructure we have because this has been going on since like 1997, 1997, I oh, think. Dude. It's they, been going on forever. And you're totally right, actually. It's not even a conspiracy theory. When, you know, Zuma got in, he appointed basically all of his uh, close family to various roles. And, for example, if there was a power station that needed to be built, the tender would go out. But the tender would go out to a company that his family member had made. And instead of actually doing anything with the money, they would just pocket the money themselves and just, you know, buy a mansion or do something. I mean, that's something that's, absolutely documented is completely true and that's why this antiquated stuff i mean we're talking about power infrastructure from the 50s you know stuff that is not even in the right mindscape of this stuff that we use today in the western world where a lot of that stuff would have been either revamped redone uh re-engineered from the 50s you know there's not much stuff i can imagine in in america that runs off stuff from the fifties, like lines and generators and power stations. Well, I don't have you know, a lot of, yeah. I don't have details to reference, but I do know that our, our energy grid is in poor shape as well, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's the, the, um, this, this political leader, his name was Jordan something. I think who uh, I was listening to, uh, through a BBC interview. He said that there, uh, they're just a few months away from bringing more sustainable uh, power plants online or, you know, you know, renewables, but they're 30, 30 months out from being in a position to, to stop the blackouts, uh, a, as I understand it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, this is something that they've been saying for years. That that's, just that's, and that's three away. years. Like just you're, a few years away. You're yeah, telling I mean, these people that yeah. they're not going to have power for 16 hours a day, but don't worry, it's only going to be like this for another three years. People are yeah, going to die. Insane, right? And why? Oh, no, seriously, yeah. I have yeah, to wonder uh, why isn't China because South Africa? So there's this this uh, new sort of I don't know if you'd call it a, a polarity of uh, of governments from uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. It's BRICS. The S in BRICS is right. yep. South Africa. I can't. I mean, I was looking this up. I was trying to find last night briefly why china isn't stepping in to help south africa but i think the answer there is well i'm sure china is giving them good deals on all of the renewable energy tech because that's where it all comes from which brings me into my you know my next conspiracy which is that china is really kind of behind this push uh or I mean, I should say that it's, it's the narrative push that coal and oil are bad and we need to switch everything over to green energy and solar panels and, and wind turbines mm. uh, because not only does that benefit China's economy, but it also kind of slows, uh, slows us all down. And China's having a problem with their economy, their commercial real estate market just like the rest of the world it's being carefully covered up by the mainstream media because i mean god you go you watch a youtube video at least here in the states and every ad is for a, some big pharma product and yeah. big pharma products are largely all produced in china and if you don't if you upset china your business is in dire straits. It's much better to be friendly with China so that they won't hurt you. Unfortunately, you end up in a position where you're at the mercy of China when they have, have decided that they're not going to, that, that they're, they're coming for their debts. They're, they're coming to call back all of the favors that they did for you. And I think that's unfortunately how we've ended up in this situation. This is why we're suffering so many seemingly dumb political leaders, not because they're actually dumb, but because they've been, well, let me backtrack. I think some of our political leaders are, are very dumb because they were the anointed ones. The globalist elite went, that guy is really, really dumb. We need to make him president of the United States so that we can crack that, you know, we can crack open that nut and suck out all the juice. That's a bad analogy. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think it's sort of, uh, I think it's kind of unfair to expect someone that's a career politician to be you know, like an intelligent person that's going to be an expert on a lot of a lot of issues. Yeah, so they've never run a business. Yeah, so like when people, like when politicians do stupid stuff, um, you know, their their job is just to get reelected every year or every four years or five years, um, and just to take 
you know donor money um so when the when they do stuff that seems like what they seem like they're only doing this for pr well yeah because that's their job they're like a salesman they're just there to you know get elected in, in four or five years time and just to push back on on your theory around the china thing in south africa one of the reasons why china's not helping out massively in south africa is because first of all china is rapidly reducing the amount of uh external investment that they're doing because they have pissed away so much money on their belt and road initiative which has been their big thing that they've been doing that's how they've been spreading Uh, their influence yeah and it's gone horribly for them i mean really bad because they were essentially giving money to countries that had horrific credit scores yeah developing economies right right and what happens when you do that is you give them the money with basically no oversight and they just waste the money and nothing gets done so china's essentially just wasted a bunch of money for nothing yeah they're not getting the return they're not getting that's it so so if, if you look at South Africa, which, you know, has something like the 66th or, or I, I can't remember if it was the 33rd or the 66th economy in the world or something in terms of growth or, or size, and they have a horrific, uh, they have a horrific credit score, you're not going to give them more money with like a crime rate of some outrageous uh, number, as well as the fact that the money that you give them is just you know, what's that going to? It's going to a, a corrupt government that's going to spend it however they, they feel like on themselves or something. So the green energy thing is definitely coming from the EU. It's a wholly EU thing. And the reason for that is that the EU um, imposes rules on goods to be imported using green energy. So if your goods that are made uh, haven't been made with a certain as percentage of green energy in the grid, uh, then they just say, no, we're not going to import any of any of your goods. And so that essentially hits about 50% of South Africa's exports. And so to help them out, the EU have said, well, no worries. We'll set up something called the GET, the JET. Uh, we'll give you $8.5 billion to roll out you know, significant amounts of green energy, including solar and wind. And, uh, you know, South Africa has no idea what to do about it because on one hand, they have this straight up criminal enterprise on the coal side full of unions and other mafias that are like, you know, if you put this green energy stuff in, it's going to put us all out of a job. And so they're basically stonewalling the whole thing or at least making it very difficult uh, to happen. And. You know, at the same time, any of the money that comes in is constantly being like siphoned off by one way or another uh, to various people and criminal enterprises. I mean, it's just it's just a horrific situation. So, you know, these politicians coming out and saying, oh, we're going to solve the energy crisis. It's all going to be good. It's, it's just it's just it's just bullshit. And they have almost architected this problem. And then they just blame it on the apartheid, you know, 20, 30 years ago, which I think eventually will become something that is just impossible to to talk about because they will have been in power for so long that they can't they can't even talk about it. Like they had enough time to solve all these issues. And one of the problems I have with South African news and these podcasts is that they're completely delusional to this idea that their their entire country is run by nepotism, corruption, and criminal enterprise. And they constantly have this, <laughs> you know, bearish view of it where, you know, we're, we're going to sort this out. It's just around the corner. It, it's not. They are, on the, they are on the cusp of complete energy collapse. 
okay, where they could, where the whole the whole grid could fail. You know that they're right on the edge of an entire grid failure. Uh, their economy is absolutely tanking into recession very soon, and it doesn't look like they have. That there's nothing that anyone can seemingly do about it because all of these policies and decisions are made by people uh, that are just gatekeepers to other people that are only job is just to siphon money away from the taxpayer or different grants or foreign investment and whatever the hell and they can't loan anymore they can't take on any more loans so they're stuck you know south africa as far as i'm concerned is going to be the next Syria within within 20, 30 years where they're just a completely failed state and they'll just regress further and further and further. So why do you think why do you think it's not more in the news? Why do I think it's not more in the news? Uh, I think because um it's a really good it's a really good question. I don't know. I, I just don't think many people care about it. Um, because South Africa just isn't a country that people seem to care about anymore. I mean, it, when they were like a leader in like cardiovascular surgery or something, people really cared about them. But now they're just like a complete joke. When they uh, were the so, when they were the setting for that movie District Nine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's when people film, cared about South Africa. <laughs> that's that's when people cared about it, right? But it's it's you know it's such a shame, and I think part of it is because of this continued delusion from from politics and other people from South Africa that it's not actually that bad, you know, even even though it is that bad. I don't know if you can look up the current crime statistics, but I know in the last like three years, it's gone from like really bad to absolutely insane levels of bad. Um it's just it's it's just like, you know, and they've they've just ousted Zuma a little while ago as well. So it's just a completely crazy. It's just another African failure. Uh, which was a real shame because it's the fastest growing um, continent in terms of population. Um, there's plenty of good stuff going on. And South Africa has some of the craziest amounts of natural resources. They could be they could be on the same level as Germany in terms of an economy. But their corrupt government just hinders them so, so crazily. Well, that's that's where my that's where my theory about why it's not more in the news comes from. I mean, Elon Musk is that that's Elon Musk's hometown. You'd think he'd be yeah, riding in there on a white horse going, "All right, set up the solar panels, get the the battery walls in, let's, you know, let let's take care of this problem." No, the, there's it's, the, the the government just says, "Well, nah, you 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 you're white, so we don't care." I mean, there's actual, yeah, that's a good point. In 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 uh in a lot of job applications in in South Africa, uh, now you have to hire. You're not allowed to hire qualified white people if there's a black person going for an application. So there's a lot of people. That's that are so being, crazy that that's happening in yeah, Africa, right? That's that's a genuinely a law that they have. They have like you know, really crazy diversity quotas um, to try and, you know, make the workplace more diverse. And they tried that in Zimbabwe fucking years ago. And then they all fucking went hungry. No one could, no one could feed each other anymore. And then they reversed that and they're on a little better footing. Well, I think, Um, and, and this is kind of a dark, I mean, it's not kind of dark. It's really dark uh, theory on, why this is happening, why this happened in in Sri Lanka uh, a few months ago, why it's happening in South Africa now. Because 
and, and and also why the state of renewable energy is so poor because the the globalist elite the new world order wants a consolidation of power but also populations there's um there's this defense publication called Deagle and uh it's been a while since I've since I looked it up uh but I've looked it up several times and uh I I actually off the top I couldn't even tell tell you what the actual point of this website is but they've predicted that the population of the United States which is 330 million people right now by 2025 is only going to be 125 million without wow. giving without giving any reason it's just projected populations now there's only a few things that would lead to the decline of a population that dramatically but one of those things could be turning the electricity off for a large percentage of the population and if you i mean if if you look at if you look at it through that dark lens then pushing this these poor options for renewable energy on populations and if you're a a giant global presence like the EU and you can do these corrupt things like oh well if if you're going to do if you're going to try to do that well when then we're going to kind of turn our backs on you you know coal and oil and natural gas those are those are terrible dirty ways to generate electricity but then they also don't want nuclear which is yeah. you know i i think Oliver Stone just released or is about to release a a documentary called uh, nuclear now i think or nukes now or something like that because in his opinion that's conceivably the only way that we're going to maintain electricity for the greatest population you know or the 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 ever increasing population in the in the country i don't see yeah. how it's 2023 and we're having these problems without it being a deliberate effort. It's totally insane, isn't it? Nuclear is definitely the future because you need to follow the energy density of, of the fuel. That's what's going to be the, the, the biggest thing. Uh, you know, if you look at solar, solar's really shit. You only get like 1,300 uh, kilowatts per square meter or something, which is which is terrible. You know, that's... I think something like yeah, thirteen hundred watts or something per 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 meter square, uh, and that's about you need two meters square then to run a kettle, you know, continuously. Um, and if you think about that, when you put solar down, you're you're giving up land, and land should be used for you know arable growing of, of food, uh, definitely cattle, other things. You know, whatever, right? We should be ma we we should be min maxing our, our use of of land, and solar is a really poor way to do that. Um, solar is is the only good thing about solar is that it's really good for off grid type installations where your 
where it's more expensive or more damaging to the environment to build in power lines you know for example where it's obvious that digging up like 120 miles of road and laying a cable is obviously going to be more damaging to the environment than just putting a solar panel on the top of your cabin in the middle of the in the middle of Nevada or something and just calling it good that's a situation that does really well uh wind turbines is another one that you know it, it's it's just not going to work long term uh the maintenance is crazy uh if especially out at sea the ones out at sea they take sea air like salty air and the the veins get mowed down like almost like sandpaper from the air and they kill birds uh they have loads of issues it's just a, a super nightmare whereas you get nuclear and nuclear has the same carbon footprint as building uh, the same amount of like wind turbines, except the fact that you have you only have to replace the fuel like every eighteen months. It's all on one footprint, uh, you know. So the energy density is crazy because you know you, you can take the size of like a Walmart or a or a parking lot or something, and then produce you know an absolutely outrageous amount of power. You know, in the gi- in the gigawatts level, not in the windmill section where you need literally acres and acres and acres of land to produce the same <coughs> amount of stuff so nuclear is definitely in the future uh, you know if you look at energy densities uranium is great plutonium is great if you look at lithium batteries lithium batteries aren't even on the same level as, as petrol or gasoline or, or let alone diesel or kerosene and then you know natural gas is really good as well because it's relatively clean and has really good energy density so you know, a, a great, what we had before, like in the 60s and 70s, a great balance between natural gas and nuclear and transitioning natural gas plants over to nuclear would be a really good way to make uh, sustainable green energy that is that lasts pretty much forever. Because if, if you look at the energy density that you get from uh, uranium of the same weight of coal, it, you know, you're looking at 3 million times greater energy output. Uh, and then the coal uh, same, lobby. Same. Then the coal lobby said, "Wait a minute, this is going to impact our profits. We need to lobby Absolutely. politicians, and we yes. need to lobby Hollywood to create this narrative that nuclear is bad. Nuclear is dangerous. Look at Chernobyl. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. when I was listening to um, I was listening to this this interview with this South African leader, and it was a BBC product." And I, I found it to just be absolutely unbelievable that one of the ads that I heard during this interview was uh, a, a documentary about the tragedy of the Fukushima reactor that went down after the, you know, the Japanese earthquake and the tsunami that came after. And I thought, they made a documentary about what a tragedy Fukushima was. Not to, that's not to say that it wasn't a tragedy on some level, but nobody even died, man. It struck yeah, not me the radiation. as people died from the tsunami, but not the radiation. Right, not from the not from the reactor is was what I was getting at. But you're right. I mean the tsunami it was and and the earthquake it was a a real tragedy. But the documentary was about I mean I think it was called Fukushima. And and you know the the narration voices oh the devastation and and you know whatever i mean it was out of context of course it was an audio trailer for a movie but i just Mm. thought it was so 
bizarre and and also fitting like oh we're having we're conducting this interview with a south african politician about how they're going to be using all kinds of renewable energy to take care of their uh electricity problem and oh by the way don't get any wise ideas about nuclear power plants because here's this ad for an anti-nuclear energy documentary yeah it's it's so outrageous i mean if you if you look at like there's quite clear and documented cases of like extreme respiratory illness from coal power plants like it's not even a you know, if you live near a coal power plant and, you know, here in England, we used to have coal fired, everything, coal fired brick, coal fired, uh, factories. I, I mean, we used to have chimneys everywhere and the, the whole sky would be black and everything would be painted black from the coal smoke. And that's actually, and, that's, that's one of the right. digs on, on, uh, on Donald Trump that I've been hearing, hearing, le- uh, recently is the, his, his claims about the clean coal. We're going to have the clean coal. It's going to be fantastic. And then you hear, oh, like a million people a year die from the coal industry. No, yeah, no big deal. But, but let's keep doing that. And this is, how, this is how we've ended up in this situation. Everybody's it's afraid terrible. of coal. It's terrible. Everybody's afraid of oil. Dude, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, coal compared to natural gas is, is, is like... Is like chalk and cheese. It's completely different things. Uh, you know, it's it's just like, it, you know, if someone lived next to a, a natural gas power plant, they would never, ever know. They would never know. They would never know. If you live next to a coal power plant, you have horrific you respiratory issues. And it's a horrible and painful death. If you lived next to a nuclear power plant, you would never know. You get more radiation right from going on uh, a flight like a commercial airliner than you do from standing next to a nuclear power plant it's just uh but people don't the problem is that politicians have this pr thing because one of the problems with nuclear is it takes a long time to build the plants as you can imagine yeah it's a tremendous investment it's a a big investment it's a lot of money and so uh, politicians uh they're looking at it this way well why would i spend all this money and do this long-term plan that's going to be someone else's success in the future. Whereas I can approve a whole bunch of solar and wind that I can plant right now in the next two years. And I look like, you know, Mr. I've solved the energy crisis and I'm doing it in a green way. So that's the, that's the place I think that politicians are at right now because it's like they can claim victory over this thing. Whereas if they sign, you know, 50 billion, uh, dollar project for a, a giant nuclear reactor that's going to basically like double the state's uh, uh, power output, you know, in, in 10, 15 years. I mean, they're thinking, well, I'm not going to be in office then. So why should I do that? Well, yeah. And they lose them. I mean, they, they lose these campaign donations from, you know, the, the green sector, the media will turn against them because they're, I mean, <clears throat> if they're not uh if they're not sponsored by green energy if they're not sponsored by big pharma then they've got some people sitting on the board that are heavily invested in coal or own coal mining companies or coal power plant companies and it seems it seems to all be well in hand like there's no like can you point to any country 
aside from maybe Russia or China or, or India who might say that they're in on the green energy push, but it's not really reflected in their, in their output, their carbon output. Australia. Is uh, Australia's not having it, huh? Or they're going, they're going nuclear, right? Is that what I heard? Australia are going to try, but I mean, they're, they have a huge amount of coal still burning away. And they're one of the largest uh, mi- mi- coal mines in the world. You know, one of the largest exporters of coal. So the, U- the UK is in the bag for the, the green energy. I was, is Rishi Sunak, I'm sorry, I'm just asking questions on top of questions, yeah, yeah, but sure. yeah, I, th- I thought I saw that, is, is, is Rishi Sunak a conservative? He is a conservative, yeah. I, I was really surprised to find that out because I thought uh, in, my, in my media circles, which is very conservative, they don't speak very highly of Rishi Sunak. It's surpri- it was surprising to hear that he's, uh, that he's a conservative, but he's still in the bag on the green energy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, which is, you raise a really good point because, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak was the head he was the chancellor, so he looked after all the budgets and stuff underneath Boris Johnson. And you see that reflected in Boris Johnson as well. Both of these characters aren't particularly conservative people, if you were to look at their policies and, and, and personal opinions. Some of the other people within the conservatives and in his own cabinet, like Priti Patel or Swella Braverman, you would definitely consider as very conservative people. But someone like Rishi Sunak seems extremely moderate. Um, and it, and almost dare I say left wing. Uh, for, he does. He does seem left wing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's around 15, 20% of our, of our energy now comes from, from solar and wind a lot most of it from, from, from wind. And I think um, that's, I think that's the same in the States. And I mean, yeah. Joe Biden is perfectly happy doing, I mean, well, what does Joe Biden really do? I mean, he wanders around on stage. He eats ice cream. He sniffs children. And I think all of the all of the big decisions are left to his. I mean, I don't know. Maybe his wife. I mean, maybe Kamala Harris. I just read uh, that somebody's going to spend ten million dollars on a PR campaign to to help Kamala Harris's image coming into twenty twenty four, which is very interesting. Yeah, I, have I to spend more than that. It's going to be way and, more than that, and and there's going to be no return on that investment because uh well i mean honestly like joe biden must have a lot more money behind him i mean that was why i think that was part of the reason why so many of the democrat the other democrat candidates dropped out uh so early in in the primary for the for the 2020 campaign um but with i mean with with donations and bribes coming your way. I mean, it's, it's just come out that, uh, Joe Biden took a bribe first. It, first it came out that it was $5 million and, and Whoa. now it's actually been confirmed that it was two payments of $5 million. And Whoa. now the, you, uh, the, I think it's Nikola Zlochevsky the CEO of, of Burisma might be the best way to describe it to the Western listeners. But but Burisma being, of oh. course, the, the energy company in, in, in Ukraine. Ukraine, 
that yeah. hired Joe Biden's son Hunter to work, uh, you know, to sit on the board of Burisma for fifty thousand dollars a month. Apparently, and this is a developing story. It was all so that Joe Biden would uh, fire would would work to get the prosecutor Victor Shokin fired because he was um, investigating this this Burisma energy company that his son worked on the board, although it's a little bit hazy when it comes to the timeline because it sounds like, I mean, there's conflicting stories, but it sounds like the hiring of Hunter might have been part of the bribe as opposed to the bribe being sort of sweetening Biden's ability to get this prosecutor fired because he was investigating the company that his son worked at. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But here's the video. We're going over convincing our team, our <clears throat> others to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, right, I guess the 12th, 13th time to Kiev and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they, had, they were walking out to press conference and said, no, nah, I said, I'm not gonna, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. At the time, he says. He, he, he caveats that with at the time. He was solid at the time. And it's weird to look at his body language because he seems, when he, when he recounts the conversation, he seems... So irritated that he had to, you know, like it, it physically affects him. Like I, I, yeah, I see it, it. Sounds very, it sounds very mafioso. Like, you know, like he's part of that sort of mob mentality where it honestly, it sounds, if, if you had played that on an episode of like the Sopranos, I would have thought, oh, wow, he, you know, he's one of the head, heads of the family or something. And it, 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 I, I really get that impression uh, in a lot of different areas. I mean, I've, I've watched The Sopranos from beginning to end. I mean, I was really late to the party. Like, I think I just finished it up last year. Uh, and I think it came out in like 1999, maybe. 2000, I don't know. There, there was a weird... Uh, not to get off on a crazy tangent, but of course to get off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> there was a weird, I, I feel like this was one of the first attempts that sort of, I mean, I don't know if you would call it intelligence or propaganda or what, where the modern or, or not modern, but the, uh, 
cultural events started making their way into, you know, like fictional media. And one of the big things that stood out to me was when 9-11 happened. It was brought up repeatedly in The Sopranos and all oh, the terrorists and this and that was constantly making its way into the yeah. scripts of, of this show. It was kind of bizarre to, to look back on that as it was happening and go, wow, this is, it's exponentially grown now to, you know, everything, everything narrative related is making its way into all of our media. And it seems to happen around the time of, I mean, it seemed to really get going around the time of Obama. And then Trump became president and then suddenly it was cranked up to a thousand and i feel like that was almost like a bit of a panic and now this information with joe biden taking bribes is coming out and the the panic is ratcheted up even further here's a a video from uh marjorie taylor green talking about she's just to set the stage a little bit, she's just come out of the the skiff, which is the uh, special or secret confidential information facility or something like that, and she's uh, she's talking about what she's seen. Reading this form today, uh, skip ahead shows a little the bit. Pure- Burisma was looking to buy uh, a U.S.-based oil and gas company, and this came from being advised by Hunter Biden and partners. Um, Biden had told, Biden said Shokin was corrupt. That was around the time of this meeting was when Joe Biden as vice president had said that the prosecutor Shokin was corrupt. They hired Hunter on the board to make the problems go away. That's what they specifically said. Um, Hunter advised that they could raise more money if they bought a U.S. company. So the the informant was trying to do the right thing and trying to advise Burisma that they shouldn't go this route. They should hire an attorney, work out their problems that they were being investigated for because they were having other legal problems. And that's why they were being investigated by this prosecutor, Shokin. The informant was advising them, don't go this route. You, why would you buy another U.S. company while you're under investigation? That's not a good idea. So he's trying to tell him to do the right thing. Um, The owner of Burisma said that Hunter was stupid and that his other business partner was smart. He also said that he paid five million to one Biden and he paid five million to another Biden. And it was all a bribery to get Shokin fired and end the investigation into Burisma. Uh, He also told the informant this is common practice in Russia and Ukraine. It's common practice. It's part of business there. That's how their culture works, that they will pay bribery money in order to get business deals done. And that yeah, that's very true. uh, they, They take that into account. They put it in their budget, basically, when they're preparing to buy another company or start another company, that that's just normal. And so over in Ukraine, uh, for them to consider hiring Hunter Biden on the board in order to make their problems go away, which was the prosecutor Shokin, 
uh, who was investigating Burisma for, for corruption and, and legal problems. This was definitely illegal for a vice president of the United States and their family members. Um, the informant had asked the, the owner of Burisma if he was happy that Trump won, and he said no, he was not happy. Remember, he had invested a lot of money <laughs> to make his problems go away. But he did say that it would take 10 years for all of us to find out the payments made to the Bidens because of how many bank accounts there were. He said at the time there were no direct payments made to the big guy, but in a meeting later, after he had become more upset as things were unfolding, he told the informant that he has two pieces of evidence showing proof of payment to Hunter and specifically Joe Biden. You see, I think what everyone needs to understand is, is that business owners, at least most smart ones, whether they're good or bad, whether they perform their business in a legal manner or a corrupt manner, they always keep records of their business payments, uh, accounts and receivables. That's how it's done. And this owner of Burisma kept a record, especially of the bribes. And if you're in an industry where you have to pay bribes to get your business deals done, then you always want to keep keep a record and keep proof of your bribes because that's how you make sure you get people to follow through on what they're done with. Um, what I read today is, is, again, shocking. Just as what I read in the Treasury Department with all the SARS report is shocking. But we are going to continue following this investigation. We're going to continue to look into every single thing that we can uncover. Um, we need the FBI to keep cooperating with us. That's extremely important. And, and the I FBI wants to cover up for Joe Biden. Christopher Ray, that he'll do the right thing and continue uh, showing the, us the information. Why? Well, buddy, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things to go into there. Uh, just a couple of sides, <clears throat> or maybe one aside. It's been, it's been reported that uh, this Ukrainian oligarch, after, he, he wasn't in the country because this prosecutor, Victor Shokin, was investigating his company. Then Biden got him fired. So Zloshevsky came back to Ukraine. Then Trump won the election. And after the phone call with Zelensky that he was impeached for, Zlochevsky left the country again. And this is the guy who's allegedly paid the $10 million to the Biden family. But the Justice Department, under Donald Trump, received this information from this informant and never didn't report it. Tried to cover it up and keep it secret. So what could possibly, what, what could that, what could possibly be the reason for doing that? I think what some people are, are not seeing in this is that this happened while Poroshenko was in power in Ukraine and now this investigation is coming to light and there's a lot more movement on this while Zelensky is in power um, and I think 
that's actually a really good indicator of the difference between Zelensky and Poroshenko. So you don't you don't uh, think that this you don't think that this information is coming out because uh, Zelensky is trying to leverage Biden into supporting him? No, Uh, no, because uh, Zelensky took a really hard stance. uh, Some would say a little bit too far into completely eradicating a lot of the corruption that M2G talks about here uh, that's in Ukraine, because it's it's very true that in Slavic nations, uh, you know, ex-Soviet nations, including like places like Belarus, and I know of someone that has done business with Russian companies, and it is very true. You, you have to have a bribe for the nut and the bolt, for the customs, for everything. You have to bribe every single level of the supply chain um, to, to get goods in and out of those countries. And so I think uh, Zelensky saw that part of the economy as something that was going to be an extreme drag. Um, and he made it one of his major policies to try as much as possible to eradicate a lot of the corruption within the government. And so I think he thinks nothing of this. I think he thinks, look, if they want to have an investigation, a free and fair investigation on something like this, that's completely fine. And if Biden looks bad, then that's fine. If he doesn't look bad, then that's fine. It's nothing to do with me. It's to do with Burisma, and it's to do with Biden and Poroshenko. And if it makes Poroshenko look bad, then that's fine because he was my he was my previous uh, he was my ex prime minister or president or something. So I don't think Zelensky looks at it as a as a political thing. Well, um, <clears throat> I think if you're a good, I think you're a bad politician if you don't look at something like this and think, I can make that work to my benefit. Because I don't think Zelensky has to take any responsibility for what is going on to use the situation to benefit himself in Ukraine. And it's not, I mean, I... I don't mean himself like in a selfish way. I mean, Zelensky could be a horribly corrupt bastard. He doesn't have to be to look at this developing situation with Joe Biden and, and say, I'm, I'm, I mean, you're, you're a bad politician if you don't look at that and go, let's see, it's, uh, I have the world's superpower. I have evidence against the world's superpower. Another world superpower is kicking my door down. Um, I think it would be very difficult for anybody to look at a situation like that and go, oh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play that card. I'm not going to, I mean, of course, in my opinion, of course you would say, oh, President Biden, you, you're thinking about not giving me more you know, you're thinking about not contributing to my war chest. Well, what about what happened with you and Burisma and Hunter Biden? And I have these documents that telling me all about it. And now it's come out that there's actual recordings that this, this Zlochewski guy, I think it could be someone else has 17 recordings of discuss, discussing this bribe with Hunter. And so it's 15 recordings with Hunter and two recordings with Joe Biden himself. And it's, it's looking extremely dire 
for the Biden uh, administration, except for the fact that the mainstream media isn't really covering it. I mean, maybe they've been forced to cover it. Of course, we're covering it now. But if I run over to foxnews.com, the top story is Garth Brooks. Nothing about Joe Biden's corruption. Nothing even about Donald Trump's indictments. If you want to see about that, you have to scroll down. And, they, yeah. and then they sum it up in one story where, oh, we're going we're gonna to just devote one article to talking about the Trump indictment and the Joe Biden corruption. Yeah, I mean that's just a, that's just the state of where we're at in journalism. That you know, journalists now they just wait and wait and wait and wait until there's like the whole story is there and they can document it in one go and then get maximum clicks on it. Well, it's rather really than doing a running commentary on something. You know, opposed to like when you know when Watergate was coming out. Well, I don't I don't know. I was wasn't born then, but you know when Watergate was coming out, it was like. It was like, uh, you know, every day there'd be like a new thing and people were following it. And that happened similarly in, in the Partygate situation in the UK. And that was some amazing journalism. I felt like I was, you know, part of something because every morning I turn on my phone and look at the news and go, what's happened today and what's moving today and what are the opinions on this? And that's just that's just gone. You know, I think it's just so early in this investigation still that a lot of these major news organizations aren't. They're just not going to be bothered to cover it. Well, and the, and the trick is going to be to prove it. Like, okay, we've got these recordings. We've got these notes. You know, we've got these documents from this informant, but can we prove it? Can we prove it? And even if it is proved, you can't indict a sitting president. But it's really, really interesting that literally four hours... After I think it was about four hours after Marjorie Taylor Greene made that statement, it was announced that Donald Trump was going to be indicted for these classified documents that he uh, retained illegally, according to the indictment. And I, I listened to the whole thing. I, I read through about half of it, and then I found... Uh, and I mean, I don't know, call it an audiobook version of an indictment that was uh, peppered with ads for MSNBC, which kind of tells you the, the politics of the, the outlet that was reporting it. Although I really appreciated it uh, because I didn't, it was only an hour or maybe an hour 15 to listen to this person read out the entire indictment with, with no commentary, no, no opinion. It was just word for word, the indictment that and, and everything it contained and 37 different charges. And this was one of the things that I thought was really, it, it was a really good indicator of what trash this indictment actually was. When it gets in to the individual charges, almost all of them, I think all but the last four, all said that the violation occurred on January 20th, 2021, when he left office. And it's just like, give me a break, man. Like, you, you're, you're saying that as soon as Donald Trump left the White House with, with these boxes, that he broke the law, but no other president or senator or vice president in the history of, of the country ever had this come up? 
See, they're not prosecuting him on the, under the Presidential Records Act because the Presidential Records Act says that anything that the president takes with him becomes his own property. Then they, they came up with the, the National Archives and decided that oh, the, we're going we're gonna to work that so that the, we can essentially commemorate the administration of this president by asking to give asking for him to give us back some documents but there is there are no criminal statutes and he's under no obligation all of the the laws that surround these these classified documents are for everybody else not for the president and there's even statutes that suggest that not only can the president take these records with him take you know whatever he wants with him he can also show it to whomever he deems appropriate let's see i'm just pulling up this screenshot that i grabbed yeah that needs to change the records of a former president are also available to such former president or the designated representative of such former president and, and then <laughs> in my research about this topic, I came across an excellent article, and it's excellent in a hilarious way, because it's from 2015 when uh, there was this, you know, the big case being made against Hillary Clinton and her emails, and it made exactly that point for that these laws about our classified documents need to change. And I agree. That being said, if we have these really lax classified document laws, and it goes through the process where it, it doesn't even, there are thousands of people with the power in this government to classify documents. And there's no real standard that a document needs, needs to meet in order to be classified. This was one of the stories in this article in defense of Hillary Clinton that a, the written copy of a public statement made by a foreign national, I forget which one, was classified by the person that, that handled it last. And the discussion via email was, uh, Mrs. Clinton... I can't send this document to the person that you wanted me to send it to because it's classified to which she responded. What class, how can it be classified? It was a public statement. Oh, well, it's got the classification markings on it. So I, I can't send it just because it has. And this is, this is kind of getting back to how this impacts the investigation of Donald Trump, just because it contains the classification markings on the document doesn't mean that it's actually classified material. There is no actual process for the declassification of classified materials. And it's been, the idea has been floated that simply the act of the president taking those boxes with him when he left office means that they've been declassified for all intents and purposes. I hate that. I hate that that, is a that that's even part of the argument i hate that there's uh this idea that he can even take classified documents with him 
But that's one of the reasons that this skiff, this, you know, soundproof room where no recording devices are allowed and, and where senators and Congress people can go in and view classified documents and they're not allowed to take them along. They're, they, they go, they go in there very secure. They don't leave there until the person that brought them in that's authorized to be handling them takes them away. If that's the standard for handling classified documents, we shouldn't be letting a president leave the White House with boxes and boxes of classified documents. Yeah. It's if they're really insane. that and sensitive. I, I, and what is this whole thing in America about like, it seems like when you become president and then after you leave office, you still have a great deal of, of uh, privileges awarded to you. Oh, yeah. Whereas you still a, collect a salary. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like in the UK, you're, you're like, you become a private citizen again. And you do get some sort of, uh, you do get some sort of pr protection. You, you're on a list where they, they check up on you to make sure that, you know, you're not going to be like kidnapped. Or do you have like a, uh, that's fair enough. Do you have a, a security detail? Um, I'm not sure there's a permanent security detail for ex-prime ministers. See, they, um, ex-presidents have, yeah. ex-presidents have, a permanent security detail. And that's actually yeah, one of the things in this indictment. One of his, one of Trump's guys that worked with him in the, in the White House is also getting indicted right along with him. He's a co-defendant. Yeah. Every, every charge that they're trying to hit Trump with, they're hitting this other guy who was his cook. In, in the White House, one of, one of his cooks, and now is his personal aide. And I, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot more to it than that. I'm really looking forward to the, um, to the court case. I think it's <laughs> going to be something that I think if Trump has a lot of confidence in him coming out smelling like roses, I would be trying to publicize the ever-living shit out of this because it could be the next um, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse thing where... You know, it kind of looks like the woke media trying to slap him down and he comes out looking like, you know, the golden eagle of American freedom. And I think if, uh, you know, because these are allegations at this point, right? So, you know, Trump could be innocent or he could be guilty or, or whatever the hell. Well, yeah, everything um, so in the indictment, the prosecutor has to prove everything that he put in that indictment. It's all yes, it's all course. just accusations. It's written as of facts, course. but it's all just accusations. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see this court case and how it unfolds. I really hope that Trump uh, publicizes it as much as possible because if he gets completely destroyed, that'll be awesome to see. And if he comes out smelling like roses and looks like, you know, he's just, he's taking the government on on his own and, and, uh, and taking everyone to the cleanest, that will also be entertaining. It's going to be extremely uh, entertaining. Uh, content in that respect and along the way if we get some kind of you know le some kind of precedent for this you know because we're in uncharted grounds in terms of, of, of terms of legal precedent then this may hold further presidents or even ex-presidents uh to a higher level of standing you know for handling documents like this um so i think uh it could be just an overall w whichever side of the fence you're on yeah, I agree. It's going to be very interesting to see how the trial goes to see all of the evidence come out because they, they claim that they have these recordings where he's talking to his lawyers and the, you know, the indictment suggests that he was asking his lawyers to 
uh, you know, cover some things up for him, hide the documents that he's not supposed to have, which doesn't really jive with a lot of what I've been hearing in, in terms of, you know, Trump sort of having carte blanche to take whatever he wants and show it to whoever he wants and declassify whatever he wants, which I know is true. He's, I mean, he is the arbiter of all of the information. And that's one of the, the, you know, hypotheses behind why this, you know, why this prosecution is moving forward because Trump has a lot of documents that expose a lot of the malfeasance that the, the deep state was, was, you know, going through performing, however, what, you know, whatever words you want to use. And that was why they, you know, kicked the door down at, at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, there, there's this, this idea that Mar-a-Lago was just this open club where, you know, people can come and go and he was storing these classified documents there. And it was just this travel. Mar-a-Lago has a wall around it. And I know that the left thinks walls don't work, but it's a pretty secure location. <laughs> people can't just come and go. I mean, they say that walls don't work and then they build walls around their own clubs and, and, and residences, but it's not, I mean, it's fair point to say that there were, you know, 150 parties there over the amount of time that it's alleged that Donald Trump had these classified documents. You also have to prove that Trump knew that he took these classified documents. I mean, I don't, rem I don't remember how many boxes he had. I mean, I think it was. Maybe I heard 185 boxes yeah, of... It's a great. it's a great deal of documents. So he, they have to prove... Well, I mean, this is where I start to get pessimistic because it all depends on the judge and the jury, right? It doesn't... Yeah. You know, because everything's been so politicized, it doesn't really matter what the actual facts and evidence are. If you get a friendly mm -hmm. judge... If you get a judge that's friendly to your prosecution, you know, and a jury to go with it, then you can... I mean... You can convict anybody, even if they're innocent, but they have to try. I mean, at least in theory, in a perfect world with a credible justice system, you have to prove he knew that he took the, the documents. You know, you have to prove that he knew what all the what every document was and what box it was in, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth about, uh, you know, and this is where a lot of the charges against his his aid this guy uh Walton Nada was that he moved he moved this these boxes here and he moved those other boxes over there and they the prosecution is claiming that he did this in an effort to mislead the lawyers and and not let the Trump's own lawyers he, he was trying to mislead them and not let them look through the boxes to find the documents that they were supposed to find but probably the oh, that most does, that does sound like something Trump would do, though. To be fair, sure. I mean, he does this, he does the same thing with his but accountants. So. It it implies that he knew what documents were in which boxes, and maybe he did. But the yeah. indictment is laying out this case that Trump is a bumbling fool. He he didn't you know he was mishandling all of these documents. He didn't know what he was doing. He had these in the shower. He had these in this ballroom. He had this in this in his office. He had these other ones over here. And then at the same time, they say, oh, but Trump knew. Trump knew what, what boxes or what documents were in which box. And he knew how to tell his special aide, Walton Nada, where to move each box to keep it out from, from the view of, of the lawyers. Maybe that's the case. I hope the evidence that the prosecution presents will at least 
support it in some meaningful way. I mean, I don't hope that. I hope Trump is innocent. But yeah, I, I hope I hope Trump Trump is innocent, and whatever was in those boxes was just fine. You know, it's just a bunch of paper, and no one should give a shit about it. I think one of the things that potentially could be really good for the prosecution is that they go in with the idea that they want to establish the fact that Trump was, you know, he knew personally that what these documents were and what he was going to do with them and that he tried to subvert the uh, lawyers and the subsequent investigation. And they could go for that. But really, that could be like best case scenario for them. And um, one of the things they actually might be going for is just establishing that Trump was so stupid and so reckless with it that uh, he he basically uh, just didn't care about what happened, and he just kind of took them with whatever. And they might they might try to establish the fact that he's guilty just through his reckless uh, usage of the documents and reckless containment of of the documents. And that might be that might be what they're actually trying to get him on. But they'll try and go for you know he absolutely knew in the beginning in hopes that they can then you know, that won't work. And then they can then go for what they really want, which is they can just, you know, because they might let Trump walk into it and go, Trump goes, well, I don't know what was in him. I just took him. And then they go, what? Okay, well, you were just really reckless then uh, around handling documents and just let him walk right into that sort of thing. So that might be, I don't know, that that's just my opinion going, but uh, that might be one of their, one of their avenues. Well, and there were also some pretty damning charges about him showing documents to people and even making statements like, I'm not supposed to show you these. I shouldn't show you these. I, I could have declassified them, um, but I didn't. And now I can't, you know, making those sort of statements um, yeah, on, true, on tape. Then that's, that, yeah, if, if, if that is true, that's pretty horrific. But it's also, in your, and you're right, there is also a, a, an argument to, uh, that's just what Trump does. He talks a lot of shit. He tries to make himself sound as cool as possible, whether it's actually mm. true or not. Um, and then there's also like, I can't, this is the, the state of media that has done this to me. I can't believe that the tape that I will hear of Trump making these statements to reporters is actually authentic. I use AI voice modelers on this show. As you hear, as you hear in the intro, every time we record a podcast, that's all AI generated text to speech kind of things. And, and one of the, uh, one of the programs I use is from 11 labs. You can actually upload clips of anyone into this AI voice modeler. And, uh, if you, if you do it right and, you know, get your settings and tolerances all right, you can get a pretty convincing replication of the voice of anyone. And make it say whatever you want. And that's just, that's one of the challenges that we're going to have as, you know, neo-journalists moving forward. How do we tell what is an authentic recording versus something that is deep faked? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about that is you can use uh, the same algorithms, the AI algorithms to deconstruct them and, and detect audio for AI audio, which is really good. And it's the same as this kind of technology that de detects AI in, you know, university uh, uh, 
essays or something or, or, or homework now. So I think for a journalist, it's going to be really difficult because they might not have access to those kind of tools. But hopefully Trump's uh, team, as well as the prosecution, will will have tools that will be able to quite easily distinct, distinguish between AI and, and, and real because um, you can't hear it with the human ear. But if you look at the actual waveform and the way that it's constructed, um, it all follows a particular model that it was based off. So um, that should be that should be relatively easy. I just want to touch on one thing before we have to go because I'm I'm conscious we're running out of time. Do it. But in the UK, this is this huge story. All right, <laughs> it's it's Boris Johnson. Oh, Boris! We forgot good. to get to Boris. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Let's. We can do it really quickly because I mean. It, it's just a it's just a fledging story right now and there's so much stuff coming out on it and it's uh you know boris johnson has decided uh well since the partygate inquiry was presented, did the report come out received it yet it's it's not out yet oh, damn. i'm so keen to do it and boris johnson has thrown his toys out the pram a big time uh and decided to leave and cuss everyone out he's on the resigned way out. yeah he's, dude he he, he's resigned and 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 made this rambling paper on the way out basically saying everyone was shit and you know they want to go back in the eu and they want to do all this stuff and they want to be they don't want to grow the economy and all this stuff he just basically laid out and then two other mps followed suit uh with him um which is (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of a reflection of how many people really back him in the party when only two other people uh, decided to join him. Um, but what I find really interesting uh, about this is that he is blaming the inquiry on pushing him out. And the inquiry is not something that's like legally binding where they say, you must go. Uh, it's like a recommendation. We recommend the MP be put on, I think they're saying suspension for 10 days. Uh, and so then parliament makes a decision they vote on it should this guy because it's it's quite serious you know if someone's elected in an election it's it's quite serious for someone to be ousted uh because you have voted for that person and so um that's why the inquiries are not set up in a legal way where they must leave because they're run by other mps and and other private individuals that they're in they're in there so boris johnson had the complete right to stay on as an mp which is something that many people are not talking about. Many people are saying that the inquiry just got rid of him, and that's not true. He had, he had, he had every right to stay as an MP, but instead he has used this as a PR tool to basically just have a huge temper tantrum and, uh, and just, God, it's just, he's, 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 he's absolutely just slammed the inquiry, okay, um, even though the inquiry was done by a cross-party committee, so it's not like a one party's done the inqu- inquiry, which is sometimes what happens in American politics. It's cross-party, so it's across the house. Uh, so it's 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 not like it's like a one-sided thing. Like uh, a, a great deal of cross-party people within Parliament has come together and decided that that Boris had indeed misled Parliament, and they decided to to. But I'm so keen to see the report. We're not seeing it just yet. I'm so keen to see this report because I want to, I want to see it, and make up my own mind about it. But I think the real story is in is in Boris Johnson's uh, Johnson's uh, reaction to this and subsequent leaving, and also his now continuing spat between himself and Rishi Sunak around the peerages and the appointments. Um, so it, as you leave as an M, as a 
prime minister, you can uh, basically do a resignation list of peerages where you, um, you're allowed to make people knights and dames and uh, lords and duchesses or whatever the hell um, on your way out. So what's and the benefit? List, uh, what's the benefit of, of that honor? Okay, so... If, if if you're if you're given a, a knighthood that allows you certain benefits, I'm not totally sure, but there you you have you can stay on being an MP and you become sir whatever and you get a title, uh, which is kind of like a you you get access to a bunch of different things. If if you're a peerage, you you must leave the houses of uh, you must leave the Commons, the House of Commons, and you become a lord or a a, a lady. Uh, and then you enter the House of Lords, where you become a permanent member uh, of the House of Lords, which all laws go through. Go through. So they go through the House of Commons first, and then they get passed on to Lords for amendments. And then they they either get passed or they get sent back to 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 the House of Commons. So, you know, as a leaving Prime Minister, you're allowed to assign people a, a peerage, which is like a, a Lord or Lady. So uh, that list essentially goes to the next. Uh, government and Rishi Sunak has gone through this list and decided to cross off a few names. Um, we don't know those names exactly yet, but you can best believe it was definitely, definitely Nadine Doris was one of them, and she was extremely pissed off. She, she made a big stink, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She made a huge stink about it, which I don't know why. I don't know why she was so mad about it because she basically doesn't even enjoy being a, a politician, other than the you know she never comes to. She never comes to Parliament. She never spends much time in Parliament. Um, the only time she ever says anything is just to back up what Boris Johnson is saying. She's, she, I mean, I, I, you'd be surprised if someone told me that she was Boris Johnson's mum or mascot or something. That would be, you know, that that would be. I would completely <laughs> believe you uh, because she's just useless. She she doesn't represent anyone. She's barely in Parliament. She never talks about anything. She never votes on anything and just comes out and complains about everything and then goes on TV, on GB News or something to talk uh, to complain or talk about something. She's completely useless. And the fact that she's resigned is a massive W for the entire UK. Um, and the same goes for... Um, oh, there was another guy. I've forgotten his name that, that, that left as well. But, you know, I, I just think good riddance to both of them but this continuing spat between him and Rishi Sunak now is just crazy because they're going back and forth in the press basically uh destroying each other which is absolutely outrageous because these are people that work together in cabinet together not so long ago like we're talking less than a year ago they were in government together and now they are arguing in the press basically um you know, Rishi Sunak was like, well, Boris Johnson, essentially saying that Boris Johnson wanted to bend the rules around the peerages thing uh, to appoint some people uh, because the peerages list goes to a body that then approves people, whether they're allowed to be a lord. And I'm not sure what the criteria is on that, but sometimes it takes into effect qualifications or uh, relative sort of uh, conflict of interest like, you know, Boris's is making his dad a knight or something, uh, which unfortunately that's actually happening. Um, but it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. So he's going to be Sir Johnson or Sir Stanley or something. It's just, it's just ridiculous. But Rishi Sunak, if you look at some of the news right now, it's, it's just, it's, it looks like it's, it's almost like a title weight fight between two politicians in the news. You know, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. This credibility war between, Rishi Sunak that wants to provide, wants to almost exude this presence of like, he's a more of a moderate, he's a known good, uh, and he's like the voice of sanity and good. 
And, you know, he's saying that, you know, Boris Johnson wanted to basically just ignore the whole, uh, uh, like qualification process of the peerages thing and just uh, uh, sign the peerages anyways. And Boris Johnson is saying that Richard Sunak is an idiot, essentially, and, you know, he's talking rubbish and <laughs> he's lying and all this stuff like that, which is so Johnson to say, because in, in the same way that Trump and Johnson, they have their own sort of like ecosystem, which is their own reality in which they live in. And, you know, Johnson is very much like that, where he's never a liar. I mean, like it, you look at his response to the inquiry. I mean, he's left, he's resigned. And many people are claiming that Boris Johnson uh, wants to come back before the election. And that's complete horseshit because in order to become an MP again, you must be approved by the party. And I can't imagine the Conservatives would give him a, a spot back considering that he is quite publicly uh, <laughs> destroying most of them in the press. So it would be like, it would be like someone stabbing you in the back and then offering them dinner uh, right afterwards. Uh, so that's, that's not really going to happen. I'd imagine maybe they will take him back because he won the largest majority for a long, long time. And the Tories are going to be in a super bad way in the next five years. Maybe they'll want him back. My favourite theory, which no one's talking about, is that I think Boris is set up in a way to make his own party or at least join join a third party and take most of his majority there because he's still fairly well liked within within the population. Um, And so I think it would be really, really interesting to see if he makes his own party joins up with someone like, you know, Nigel Farage, another populist guy, brings along Nadine Doris, maybe brings Dominic Raab out of retirement, brings a lot of his other cronies out and uh, and takes another go that way. I can't really see him giving the Tory party another go. Not not because of what he did in office, but because of what he's done leaving office. I mean, he's completely and utterly uh, burned every single bridge on the way out. Do you think it's he possibly could have? Do you think it's jealousy? Do, do you, I think it's? Do, do I think, think he's jealousy? Do you think he's jealous that <clears throat> Rishi Sunak, who used to be his, you know, subordinate, is the prime minister, and he's not? Rishi Sunak isn't in trouble. Rishi Sunak wasn't the he wasn't the object of this this inquiry where he had to turn over all of his WhatsApp messages and his personal diaries he didn't go participate in party gate he's not you know getting drugged through the press he gets to maintain his power he has no pressure to resign it seems yeah, I I, think it seems like uh, part of the tantrum to me yeah definitely he's definitely salty over the fact i mean you know both rishi sunak and boris johnson got fixed penalty notices for party gate they were both served uh penalty notices for that which i think will enrage boris even more because <laughs> boris is taking a lot of heat over this issue and richard sunak was fined in a similar way that boris was so i think he's going to be extremely salty over the fact that the essentially all the damage is being inflicted upon boris johnson all in one go as one giant you know hadouken or something you know some you know some giant energy a wave is is being directed in, in Boris's way. So, yeah, I think I think Boris is going to feel like, you know, because Boris is someone that loves getting his own way. I can imagine as a kid, if he wasn't allowed a toy or something, that he would be extremely angry. Or, yeah, or if, uh, his, so, if his brother got it instead of him, then, you know, blood exactly would flow. Exactly, right. His family is very strange. Like, his sister, who is a talk, a talk show host on LBC, is uh, very much more of a lefty, extreme lefty. 
Um, that's, that's like the Trump family. The the parallels between Trump and Johnson are are just crazy. So final word. Yeah. Do you think that Boris Johnson takes his cues from Trump, or do you think Trump takes his cues from Boris Johnson? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, because they're both calling they're both thing. calling kangaroo courts. Trump says, oh, this is a d- the darkest day for our country and the justice system is corrupt and all these judges. And then Boris Johnson says the same thing. I think Trump's got more of a claim of, of judicial corruption than, than Boris Johnson does, although I'm sure there's folks in the UK that would disagree. Yeah, there's people that, that would probably disagree in the UK, but our judicial process has so many more layers of bureaucracy for just oversight and transparency that it's it's pretty much impossible for it to be a, a corrupted uh, system i mean you would have to corrupt every single level of every single you know because this was cross-party right so you would have to corrupt your own party the opposite party other parties there's so many i mean there's just so many levels of bureaucracy um and that's why these inquiries take so long but at the same time they're just impossible to be corrupted in a certain way compared to you know, America, which is a bit more partisan. So, yeah, I have to um, say, sitting sitting over here, knowing what I know about you know the justice system in America, it's hard for me to not sort of project all of that onto the UK judicial system. Yeah, but I know that the the way that these people get appointed, um, and how it's you know how it's very nonpartisan uh and and even when it is it's across party lines it seems yeah. at least much more difficult to corrupt than than the american system oh yeah for sure because you've got to corrupt people that agree with you and don't agree with you and that's incredibly difficult uh so yeah i think definitely there's some definite parallels between their their pr roles and i and i'm I would definitely say that uh, they're taking cues from each other because they're both in Western nations. They're both uh, populist figures with with good fan fan bases. Although I think Boris Johnson's fan base has taken a, an extreme kicking uh, compared to Trump's. I think Trump's fan base is, is much more much stronger than Boris's, um, and that's because I think the UK population is just not used to as much populism. I think we get tired of these kind of people, and we're we don't mind moving on to the next to the next toy in the box. Um, so, but I, I definitely see, I definitely see the parallel between the both of them and the way they're they're attacking simultaneously the the systems in which uh, our countries are, are made of. Um, I think if someone is going to have an easier time in disabling the country's state stuff, I think Trump is going to have an easier time uh fending off the you know the waves of of like orc like uh you know attacks whereas boris is gonna have such a hard time now because he's been kind of publicly destroyed and he's destroyed all of his friends on the way out so well i think that's that's like the downside of this this corrupt judiciary it's an uphill battle for them to get a conviction because all of their corruption has been on display in so many different ways. When Trump calls out 
the corrupt judiciary, everybody kind of goes, I mean, at least half of the country goes, "Mm, yeah, I can kind of see what you're talking about. There is a lot of corruption there. When Boris Johnson does it, it's like, wait, what? Oh, oh, he's, he's throwing a tantrum. He's jealous of the ones that aren't in trouble. He's upset that he has to resign over his, you know, his wrongdoings. Yeah, and he has a history of being shot down by the courts that are elected impartially. So there's, there's, there's already precedent of Trump, of, not of Trump, of Boris going to uh, court for doing something and being shot down in a lengthy, impartial process. So it's, it's much harder for Boris to claim that compared to Trump because Trump has not yet gone through that process. He's about to, so we'll see. But uh, Boris, as you know, he's, he's already been shot down a few times. And this is, this is him taking uh, what I believe will be uh, one of the final uh, shots or, or maybe nails in the coffin for his, um, for his political career. I think it's going to be very hard for him to maintain a public image with himself being out of parliament um, because he's not like on any TV shows or radio shows and people don't really read news columns anymore, which is what he used to do. So, yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. I know we we got excellent, interesting stories to cover over the next, well, I imagine several months. People are even yes. speculating that this this ordeal with Trump could extend to beyond the next election, which would make things very interesting. But oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. We're uh, maybe we uh, maybe we pop in to do an emergency podcast when the uh, when the the covid inquiry report drops. Yeah, when it drops, we should totally get on the next day and just be like, and just and just kind of just read through some of it, really informal, and kind of break down what's what's going on in the in the report. I'm sure. in. I'm happy to do that. So we'll <clears throat> loosely plan on on doing that tomorrow. We got to everything, man. I can't I can't believe it. I mean, we got to everything and more. That's why we're over two hours. We're damn near pushing Joe Rogan type content here. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm proud. I'm glad we did it. Uh, any final words for the audience? Uh, final words? Uh, don't read the Daily Mail. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> don't, as well as, and don't, uh, read the, uh, don't read the Guardian because it's owned by the son of a Russian oligarch. I don't really like to generalize like that, although... <clears throat> I I could comfortably tell you not to believe anything that you read. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah. to to trust, say trust trust but verify that's the Soviet saying. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Trust but verify exactly. That's, it. that's because, the KGB saying. Well, because really, and I've said it before, you can get into reading an article on C in from CNN, and about halfway through, you can identify that it's a piece of propaganda because. There's a lack of, of citation for any of the claims that are being made. I think what's best is to just keep coming back to this podcast because we will, uh, we will take the information and try to cut the fat off of it, and then I'll inject a bunch of conspiracy theories, and then you'll reel <laughs> me back in, into the yeah, real world, sure. and, and we'll continue on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Continue to listen to this podcast because we happily abuse ourselves reading horrific news stories that are written by obvious monkeys. Into all uh, hours of, of the night. <laughs> absolutely. Into all kinds of hours. You know, I'm in this time zone, you're in the other time zone. So we're like 24 hours, basically, if you know what I mean. We're constantly going. And I know, uh, I know we're just moments from that report dropping. So uh, we will be back with that info as soon as possible.